The banking industry is undergoing a radical shift, one driven by new competition from fintechs, changing business models, mounting regulation, and compliance pressures. I'm your host, Swapnil Deshmukh, and you're listening to Digital Banking Trends in Asia-Pacific by Terminos. In this podcast, we will speak to industry experts and practitioners to help banks chart a clear path forward to attend digital transformation. In the previous episode, I spoke with Aruvavel Ramo, CTO of Tonic Bank, and we discussed whether banks should build or buy when it comes to digital. Today, we'll talk about a topic that's very close to my heart, road ahead for DigiBanks. ASEAN region, including Malaysia, is poised to be the next battleground for digital banks, with existing players stepping up their expansion plans in addition to the new entrants. Having said that, the million-dollar question of whether digital banks can be successful is expected to dominate conversations for the time being. In April 2022, Bank Nagara Malaysia announced five license winners, and it is my absolute privilege to have one of the new licensees with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ms. Rafiza Ghazali, Director of Digital Banking at CAF Investment Bank. Now, I've only known Rafiza for a short time, but we've had some really deep and engaging conversations over the past few weeks on digital banking. First of all, a big congratulations to the CAF team on the Islamic DigiBank license. Rafiza, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, Swapnil. First of all, it's an absolutely pleasure to be on this podcast and thanks for inviting CAF. Just a little bit of background. So I just joined Calf Investment Bank in June this year. That's close to three months. So my main task since joining Calf is to help the bank to build and start operationalize and launch the digital bank that they've just won back in April, as you mentioned earlier. So prior to this, my experience mainly has been in the financial sector. I was with one of the local bank, investment bank in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia for about five years. I've also served with Chagamas Perhat, uh, a short stint with the central bank, and I've also been with Thomson Reuters as the head of Islamic Finance for Asia. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Thanks for the introduction, Rafiza. Now, let me get straight into it. On to my first question. Yeah, what sure. can customers expect from DigiBanks? And how will this change the banking landscape in Malaysia? Well, before I answer that, perhaps I'll give you a little bit of a context on why Central Bank gave this digital bank license in the first place. As you know, the landscape, especially with the pandemic, has been very different. So you see a lot of the a lot of the customers out there who previously had jobs, they had salary slips, but they're now doing more freelancing work. And you see a lot of the SMEs as well. So previously, they're probably concentrating on growing the companies. So, But now their main pain point is on the immediate liquidity crunch. So they're looking more for more flexible, you know, to address their existing needs. So what people are going to expect is, number one, the flexibility. And that's where I think the digital bank comes into place because the whole idea of 
why central bank gave us the license in the first place is the fact that the existing uh, processes, if you look, if you go into the websites of a lot of the traditional banks, at the moment, a lot of them requires a lot of documentation, which if you look at both the retail customers and the small business customers, they may not necessarily have the documentation. So that's number one. And I think that's, so, so that's very important the reason why central bank gives out these licenses in the first place. And how the landscape is going to be like in Malaysia, and this is what we are saying, which is, you know, a very, very positive thing, is the digital banks, is, is our role not so much of to disrupt the existing traditional banks. And you see with the, after the announcement, you, I'm seeing a lot more progress from the existing banks, you know, going through their digitalization initiatives, and that's fantastic. But what we are looking at, is if you look at the population in Malaysia, especially the adult population, you know, there's been some statistics to say that, you know, one out of two adult populations don't have, you know, access to basic financing needs. And this is a worry. So that doesn't mean that they're not credit worthy, but they just they just don't fit the consumer segment which the existing banks look for. And it's the same thing with the SMEs. Yeah. And you see a lot of people going to small businesses because a lot of people have lost their jobs. So they're trying to start their own small businesses and they don't have access because they don't have the track records, the documentation, etc., etc. Yeah. yeah. The point around gig economic work, economy workers resonates well with me. Last year during the lockdowns, I thought of taking online language <laughs> lessons and all the good teachers were so busy with all yeah. the students. Yeah. Pretty sure they're making good amount of money. Unfortunately, yeah. They have the money, but they just didn't have the traditional documents that are expected by the incumbent financial services providers. That's true. And I like how you started with the why and went on to the how of digibanking. So Mm -hmm. thanks for that. Mm -hmm. If we talk about traditional banks again for a minute, they look at criteria such as net promoter score, return on equity, Mm -hmm. net interest Mm -hmm. margin as the key matrix in their Mm -hmm. annual reports. So mm-hmm. how would you define success for Digibanks and mm-hmm. how will these metrics be measured? I think um, the metrics that are being used and looked at by the traditional banks, I don't think there's going to be any difference from for the digital banks. But like, again, one of the conditions that was imposed by the central bank is that we can't have branches. So i.e. everything that we do needs to be digitally, like for example, digital onboarding. And a lot of it will definitely concentrate along you know user experience customer experience how do you like for example how do you try to switch from clients of an existing banks to the new digital banks how can they you know do banking anywhere anytime and not wait till monday you know for them to do their banking so i think these some of the areas that the digital banks will be looked for because you know we do have some limitations on uh, how we you know serve the customers so definitely for us like net promoter score is something that you know we will look at can we have you know the best net promoter score probably not something that a traditional bank will tend to look because you know they have a huge capital and they service a lot of the bigger high net worth clients and corporate clients whereas you know for us you know the type of customers would definitely you know want the best user experience i'll give you an example like a lot of the times i'm you know i'm very busy i could well spend 20 minutes and get myself lunch 
But instead, I don't mind paying a little bit for riders delivery to deliver my food right downstairs. And it takes me three minutes as opposed to 15 minutes because for me and I'm sure to a lot of people as well yes of course occasionally I like I like to go for a walk but time is very important and you see a lot of the small businesses you know they can't go to branches to do their banking even for me that there are certain number of things that I've been meaning to do for the last I don't know three years but I never get a chance to do that because I just don't have the time to look for parking queue etc etc and to go for banking so for us in order for have a sustainable value proposition is the experience that we can provide uh, to the customer not just on our platform but also on our partners platforms you know yeah got it so I like how much you stress on experience because I think that's going to be one of the key metrics and while mm. that's not measured by a lot of the incumbents today mm. I wouldn't be surprised if in the mid to long term they start reporting these metrics in their annual report as well. And very interestingly, you also mentioned partners, right? So Mm -hmm. that leads me right into my next question. With the rise of eKYC infrastructure, payment infrastructure from Paynet, RPP, and online marketplaces, let's talk about embedded finance. How can Digibanks partner with other fintechs to deliver superior user experience while still focusing on profitability. Yeah, so when you look at the, especially with the new digital banks, right, I mean, we're quite lucky because we have an existing investment bank as our, you know, main shareholder. But with the rest, they've only been in the market very, very recently compared to the traditional banks who have been around for, you know, more than 15 years or even 50 years. So for them, the first few years, is very, very crucial. How do you scale your customers? You don't have an existing customers. You need to acquire new customers. So for us, we believe more in partnership where they try to build ourselves. And why don't we leverage on partners who already have an existing clients who wants to improve, who wants to embed financing so that they can provide a more complete delivery to their customers. So why can't we just, how to say, leverage on on their existing infrastructure rather than to build ourselves? And this is where, because otherwise, if we want to build everything ourselves, you know, it will take a long time for us to do this. So from day one, when we thought about, okay, going to digital banking, for us, we, we, we believe and we've seen this work with, you know, some of the existing traditional, uh, some of the existing digital banks where they leverage on partners. So, yeah, that's where I, I look at it from that point of view. Yeah. Got it. This takes me back six years when I did a project with the Maybank Group in yeah. Malaysia. Mm. We wanted to improve the mortgage numbers. Mm. We looked at the customer life cycle and the customer journey. It starts with customer looking at properties, maybe on an aggregator, on a property website, real website, Mm. going, visiting these properties, looking for amenities. At the very end, after found the dream place, Mm. we'll think of, okay, where do I go for financing? And we thought, how do we improve that, Mm. change that, and be part of the customer journey right from the very beginning? So we partnered with Property Guru Mm -hmm. and launched a Maybank app in which you could use the phone camera to point in any direction. Oh, okay, It'll tell you great. based on the criterias you have, yeah. what are the properties available, what's the financing, what are the amenities. Yeah. And if you like the property, what are the different Maybank products or offerings yeah. that could help you make that decision. Yeah. In fact, DBS also did something similar in Indonesia with a car marketplace. Idea mm. being 
don't be at the end of the customer journey. Yeah. Be part of the customer journey from yeah. right beginning to the end. Yeah, absolutely, Swapnil. If I can just share with you with Kaf Digital Bank, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know that when we submitted our license, we didn't just do it with ourselves. We've partnered with a consortium that makes up of Kasem, which is Southeast Asia largest market for used car dealer, another startup, Money Match, they are in the remittance business. The last one is Genexu. They own the you know price financial products price marketplace discovery. And the reason why we do this is I just give you an example. You know, when people go into customs platform, right, they already have intent to buy a car. So when you buy a car, how many people buy in cash? They definitely need higher purchase financing, right? So the intent is already there. So we don't have to spend much effort and much resources to convince them to take a higher purchase. So rather than go out and do a blasting marketing and say that we've got the best higher purchase, you know, to people who don't have the intent to buy a car in the first place, why not improve the customer journey in Carsom's platform? Because they've already made up their mind. They want to buy a car. And oh, by the way, there is this higher purchase financing. And what for us, just to be shared, just to give everyone some information that it's not going to be exclusive. So other finances can do that as well. But how can CAF invest, CAF, the digital banks from CAF, can give the most cost-effective rates and also the quickest decision. I think that's where we need to make sure that we deliver on that spectrum. Thanks for sharing about that, Rafiza. Mm. If you fast forward a little bit, you know, to 2025, how do you think the future of digital banking looks like in your opinion? Yeah, so there's this, some people say that, you know, we need banking services, but not necessarily we need banks. So I think, and as you can see, again, like I pointed out before, with the emergence of, the digital banks, although we're not here to disrupt the existing banks, but like again, we are seeing uh, fantastic trends on how existing incumbent banks, on how they also want to provide a similar customer experience to their customers. So you'll be seeing how to say the ability that they can do banking anywhere, anytime. And the good thing about Malaysia is that we have a high level of uh, smartphone penetration, so 93.1% of you know Malaysian population use mobile to connect to the internet. So you you see people are able to do their their banking, they are able to self-service, they don't have less forms to fill, which I look forward to, you know, and the high usage of data, you know, to credit score people. Because you know at the moment we're still very much using past track record history and which, you know, may not necessarily work, especially with the young people where, you know, they don't have yeah, credit yeah. history. So, uh, you know, they want they want uh, financing needs. So I think the ability, so you're looking a lot of people are talking about open banking, open up your APIs to partners, you know, uh, responsible usage of data, personalized financing needs. I get very frustrated because I still have a lot of people call me, sometimes there's been one time I was on a panel. I have this, you know, bank call me trying to sell some, I don't know. Some, <laughs> I was like, I'm one of those who, you know, when I see someone call, I will try to answer because sometimes, you know, it's an important client. Sometimes it's family members. So I get called and they start us off, oh, I'm so sorry to disturb you. I said, you are disturbing me. I don't need this. So it's not personalized. And so many yeah. times I have to unsubscribe to banking or promotion emails because I just... That's don't right. need those. So I think what people expect is personalized financing, targeted, 
proactively rather than reactively, you know, that sort of things. And, you know, when you talk to people out there, you know, they want to feel like as if they're the only customer of the banks. And yeah. so I, I think Make that's them feel special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, so that's yeah. what we are seeing, uh, the demand. And unfortunately, the banks, we need to meet these needs. It's no longer in the good old days where, okay, this is what I can do and you have no choice. This is, it's, you know, putting the customer at the center of everything. You know, I think that's where a lot of banks are, are going towards. I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I like the point you made around personalized offerings. Definitely, that's something mm. that will re- resonate with a lot of people. Mm. Now, to prepare for the future, how banks can build their future workforce? I think uh, a lot of the people listening would like to know that as well. Yeah, so I'm in the building mode of this digital bank and I have to do a lot of hiring. So we get a lot of CVs, but unfortunately, some of the experiences may not be relevant, to, especially with the digital bank quite a significant high percentage of the people that I'm looking for. They have data background, cybersecurity, tech, stack, etc., customer user experience, UI, UX, etc. So those are the type of people that the digital, and it's not just me, you know, a lot, when I talk to all the other digital banks applicants, you know, they're facing the same problem as well. So what do we do with a lot of the people who are still out there, who are still doing a lot of man, sort of a manual work? And one of the good things that I've seen some of the, what the local banks are doing, especially, you know, their HR policy, they try to upskill their speed. And I think, I think that's fantastic because we do still need people, but it's just that, you know, the and don't get me wrong, their experience in the credit assessment is still very, very valuable. But how can you translate that into a, a different set of uh, processes? So not to say that, you know, the experience are completely not useful at all. They do, but it's just that you just need to complement them, with, you know, with some other skill sets uh, to make sure that they remain relevant. Yeah. And in fact, I think even the way products are marketed and the resources required to market will change. Yeah. So it's no longer about ATL, BTL, mm. instead there'll be huge focus on social media, selling yeah. through TikTok, selling yeah. through Instagram yeah. and some of these apps, hand, uh, you know, hand on heart, I haven't mm. used, I don't get them, <laughs> but I'm sure the, those, those are the jobs of future. Well, if I know, want to know anything about that, I'll have to ask with the kids, you know, my kids. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're, they're a lot more savvy. Yeah. Yeah. So as we draw to the close of this podcast today, uh, Mm. this is my favorite question, last and favorite question to ask uh, all our guests. What's the one piece of advice you'd like to give to our listeners of the podcast today? Well, for me, what's important is that we need to continuously look what's trending out there. I think it's very important. When I talk to a lot of people, you know, obviously, you know, especially after the announcement, almost every new person that I see, they will ask, oh, you know, so what's this about, you know, digital banking? And there are still a lot of people who may not necessarily be aware of what's happening and the reason for this digital banking. I think it's very important. And especially if you're high level, C-level, you need to make sure, you need to know what's happening on the ground. You know, you can't just rely on your strategy team to give you a very nice report. You need to talk to the people out there. What are the consumer are demanding? I think that's very important, especially if you're in the banking. When I talk to some very experienced banking, you know, they still expect how 
banking works seven years ago, 10 years ago. It doesn't. Like, again, I said, you need the banking services, but you may not necessarily need banks. And I think it's very important that you continuously see what are the trends out there. People are a lot more, they're a lot more demanding. So I think that's very important for us to make sure that, you know, we serve them as best as we could. Yeah. Thanks for that. There you go, listeners. Keep learning, keep growing, stay hungry, stay foolish. I can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast and sharing your experience with our listeners, Rafiza. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. I hope all the listeners have enjoyed today's podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to Digital Banking Trends in Asia-Pacific Podcast by Terminos. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'll be back with a brand new episode very soon.